Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of God's invisible for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degradation of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who was forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. This is the word of God. I think this is one of, uh, one of the most important passages in the Bible in that it helps us understand the world as it is. Uh, it helps us understand why we are the way that we are, why the world is the way that it is, but it also helps us understand why the gospel is such good news. And so we're going to actually consider it over two weeks. Uh, We're going to look at part of it today and we'll look at some more of it next week. Uh, So we will still have question time after this morning. Uh, It is a passage that raises lots of questions. Uh, But if you've got a question, ask it. I may just say we're going to talk about it next week, but don't let that stop you from asking. Uh, So let's, let's pray and then we'll get into this Uh, important passage. Our gracious God, we do thank you that you do give us your word so that by it we can know ourselves and so that by it we can know you. Now, Lord, we have before us today a, a difficult passage, a confronting passage, and so, Lord, we ask that you would give us the humility to, to hear it and to receive it without fighting back against it. Lord, help us to hear that this is your word, that it is truth. But Lord, also help us to see that it is good. And so we ask this 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, it, it goes without saying, doesn't it, that you'll, you'll never seek out a solution to a problem unless you first realise that you have a problem. You'll never go to the doctor unless you or perhaps your wife tells you that you need to go, that you're sick. You need to know that you have a problem before you seek out the solution. If you're a student, you're never going to go see your teacher unless you first realise that you're failing. If you're married, you're never going to go see a marriage counsellor until you realise that your relationship is in trouble. You'll never seek out a solution unless you first realise that you have a problem. But we can go uh, one further than that, which is to say that you'll never truly appreciate and embrace a solution until you understand the nature and the severity of the problem. Uh, Sunburn is, is a perfect example here. Everyone knows that sunburn is a problem, at least in this day and age. Everyone knows. Everyone knows it hurts. Everyone knows it's bad for your skin. Everyone knows that it causes skin cancer. But do we cover up? When I go down to do ceviche, I'm going to say, sort of, but not always, do we? Now, I'll tell you what I have noticed, though. Give me anyone that's had a skin cancer cut out of their face, they are far more likely to cover up than those that haven't. Because it's only when you fully grasp the severity of the problem, only when you understand it, when you feel its pain, that you'll embrace the solution. Well, today we're in the third week of our series, Paul's Letter to the Romans, and so far in this letter, Paul has been telling us about a solution. He's been telling us that the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, is for everyone, and that it is good news because it is powerful to bring anyone back into a right relationship with God. He's been telling us about a beautiful solution but only if you first see that we and everyone else in the world has a problem will we care about that solution. And so friends, the reason that the gospel is good news, the reason that we need a gospel that is the power of God which brings salvation, which we saw in verse 16, The reason we need a gospel that reveals the righteousness of God, a way of being right with God that is received by faith, verse 17, is because, verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against the godlessness and wickedness of people. Brothers and sisters, my aim this morning is to convince you that you have a problem. To convince you that you are sinful, guilty, and without excuse. And to show you how, apart from the gospel, every single person in the world is under the wrath of God. Now, there'll be some of you here who don't think that you are sinful, and so my aim today is to convince you that you are, that you have a problem. 
But I feel like there'll be more of you here who know that you're sinful, but don't really appreciate the severity of the problem. And so my aim is to convince you that your sin is a far bigger problem than you think. But wherever you're at this morning, I want you to understand from the outset that as unpleasant as this topic is, we're looking at the problem in light of the solution. We're looking at verses 18 to 32, but don't forget the 17 verses that have come already. We're looking at the problem of sin and God's wrath in light of the gospel, the solution to that problem. And so we don't need to be defensive as we hear this. We don't need to be afraid of being honest about our own problem because we know the solution. But until we come to grips with the depth of our problem, until we see the consequences of sin, we're never going to grasp the beauty of the gospel. So we're going to take a look at this problem for which the gospel of Jesus is the solution. And Paul summarizes this problem very simply. Verse 18, the wrath of God. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. Now, we don't often like to think about God's wrath that God is angry, some people find it very hard to accept that it could even be true. Because if God is love, well, how could he be angry? Surely those two things, love and anger, can't go together. Now, quite often, love and anger are opposed to each other, aren't they? Most of the anger that you and I experience in our lives comes from a lack of love. I saw a guy, uh, you know, road raging the other day. He was screaming his head off at this car who had cut him off, yelling and swearing. Do you know what I didn't think as I saw that? I didn't look and go, oh, he must really love that person. It was the, the lack of love and care for that person that caused him to yell and scream and look like a nutter. Because usually love and anger are opposed to each other. You get one when you don't have the other. But it's not always like that. And God's anger is different. Because God's anger comes from his love. It's because he is loving that he gets angry. It's because he cares for you that he hates seeing you hurt yourself with bad decisions. And it's because he loves others that he will not let sin go unpunished. And so just as the power of God is revealed in salvation, as we saw it was in verse 16, and just as the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel, as we saw it was in verse 17, now we see the wrath of God is being revealed against the godlessness and wickedness of people. Now notice Paul says God's wrath is a a present reality. It is being revealed, verse 18. No, he doesn't say it has been revealed. He doesn't say that it will be revealed, although that is true. There are other times where Paul talks about the day of God's wrath, the coming wrath. He's talking about God's, uh, Jesus' future judgment when Jesus returns. But right here, he's talking about something that happens now. The wrath of God is being revealed now. 
Now, that raises two big questions. That first is why. Why is God angry? And secondly, how is his wrath being revealed now? Now, we're going to take the second question next week. How is the wrath of God being revealed? We'll look at that next week. The first question is, why? Why is God angry? We need to understand that. Because often we actually struggle to connect the dots between our sin and God's anger. Talk to most Christians, they'll they'll agree that they are sinful, that they are imperfect, that they do not always do the right thing. Uh, But what they struggle is to see how that makes them deserving of God's wrath. It seems heavy-handed, it seems over the top. How how could God be so angry about it? Uh, I saw this little comic uh, quite a few years ago, but it it kind of, well, it struck me, It, it troubled me. Now, this is, the caption says, Christianity in a nutshell, if you can't see, Jesus is there knocking on the door saying, let me in. The person inside says, why? Jesus says, so I can save you. The person inside says, save me from what? And Jesus responds, from what I'm going to do to you if you don't let me in. Now, I first saw that and I was, I was kind of troubled by it because it, it made Christianity sound really stupid. It it sowed seeds of doubt in my mind because it implies that Jesus is a solution to a problem that he caused. Is that the way it works with God's anger? Is God just angry because he's not getting what he wants? Well, the first part of the answer to the question of why is God's wrath being revealed comes in verse 18. God is angry because of the godlessness and wickedness of people. Godlessness is those who live as if there is no God. Those who are wicked, those who are doing what is wrong. And so essentially those, those two things sort of you know, cover the, the two great commandments, don't they? God is angry for those who fail to love God as they should and who fail to love their neighbour as they should. But straight away, Paul anticipates the objection. Because the objection comes, doesn't it? What happens if someone has never heard about God? What happens if you've never seen a Bible or known a Christian? Surely God can't be angry at people who don't know any better. Well, Paul's answer to the the objection that he raises is everyone knows better. Everyone. You don't need to come to church to know that there is a God who deserves to be worshipped. You don't need to hear a sermon to know that there is a God who must be listened to. You don't need to read the Bible to know that there is a right and a wrong. All you need to do, says Paul, is look around. Have a look, verse 19. Since what may be known about God is plain to them. Because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Here Paul lays out what theologians call general revelation. The idea that we can know about God just from looking around at the world. 
Look up at the stars, look out into nature, look down at a newborn baby. In fact, look anywhere and you'll see God's invisible qualities revealed. His eternal power, his divine nature on display. Now, creation won't tell you everything there is to know about God, will it? No one is saved by looking up at the sky. A tree cannot tell you the gospel. That's where we need God's special revelation. We need God to make his plan known to us in his word. And so don't, don't get the two confused. Creation cannot save you, but it can condemn you. Because by looking around at what has been made, we can clearly see that there is a maker. And if there is a maker, it logically follows that the maker should be someone we listen to, someone we worship, someone we obey. Now, the problem of God's wrath is not caused by a lack of knowledge. We cannot plead ignorance. The problem is caused by people refusing to accept the truth. You see, what Paul shows us here is not just that through creation someone can know God. He goes one better to say that by looking at creation, everyone does know God. Everyone knows God, which is why in verse 18 he says people have suppressed the truth. You you can't suppress something that you don't have. You can't suppress the truth unless you know it. And so Paul says everyone knows it. Everyone. And the statistics back that up. You go ask, most Australians will say they believe that there is a God who made the universe. They know it. No one had to teach them that. They know it intuitively. But friends, even even the atheists, even the people who say there is no God, they know it. They say they don't, but deep down they do. Because they know that the only way possible to explain how the universe exists, they know the existence of God is the only way possible to explain why we consider it morally wrong to steal or kill. No, nothing else can explain that. If we are just animated pieces of meat that evolved out of the primordial soup for no reason in particular... The idea that there is anything that is morally right or wrong is is absurd. It makes no sense. And so the atheists can scream until they're black and blue. They can write books. They can give lectures. They can come up with endless hypotheses about how everything was created without someone causing it. But try as they might, deep down they know There is a God. There has to be a God. Friends, everyone knows there is a God. Everyone knows there is a maker, an all-powerful creator who is responsible for our existence. And the problem, says Paul, the reason God is angry, that even though everyone without exception knows the truth about God, everyone without exception suppresses the truth. We take that truth which we know to be true and we we hide it, we suppress it, we deny it, we pretend that it's not there. 
Now, how do we do that? Well, Paul says, we're so determined to deny that which we know to be true that, oh, sorry, why, why do we do that? Well, we do that because the truth is scary. The reason the atheists deny that there is a God is because they don't want there to be a God. The reason your friends or your family members deny that there is a God is because they, they are scared of the idea of there being a God. Because friends, if there is a God, that means that we owe our existence to him. It means that this is his world, not ours. It means that we need to bow to his agenda, not force our own. Ultimately, it means that we are not God. And we don't like that. And so we deny that truth. We suppress that truth. We, we live with our ears blocked trying to, to deny that which we know to be true, that there is a God. And one of the ways we do that is by exchanging God with something else as the object of our worship. Paul puts it this way in verse 22. He says, we exchange the glory of the immortal God for things made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. He says it again in verse 25. He says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. The way that we suppress the truth is that we take something else and, and put it in God's place. Now, we may not worship images of people or birds or animals, but you do worship something. We all do. At least we all did. Now, Tim Keller puts it like this. He says, we must worship something. We were created to worship the creator. So if we reject him, we will worship something else. We are telic creatures, purposed people. We have to live for something. There has to be something that captures our imagination and our allegiance, which is the resting place of our deepest hopes and which we look to to calm our deepest fears. Whatever that thing is, we worship it. And so we serve it. It becomes our bottom line, the thing we cannot live without. Defining and validating everything that we do. Friends, what are you worshipping? What is that thing in your life that you devote yourself to? That thing that you look to for hope, for meaning. That thing that if taken away, you would really struggle to see why life is worth living. And maybe that's your, your family. They are good. Maybe it's your money. It's also good. Maybe it's your work, another good gift from God. Perhaps for you, it's just that desire to be known, appreciated, liked by people. 
Whatever it is, know this, that as good as that thing may be, it's a terrible God. Don't make that exchange. It's like you don't, don't sell your house in the hope of getting an inheritance from a Nigerian prince. It's a terrible exchange. Don't exchange the glory of the immortal God for a terrible fake, for something that can do nothing good for you. Friends, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against the godlessness and wickedness of people. He's angry at people who know better. We, we are without excuse. He's angry because they've exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They've denied a truth that they know, rejected a truth that cannot be avoided, done whatever is possible to avoid worshipping God and thus replaced him with something else. And friends, that's why God's wrath is being revealed Now, we'll see how God's wrath is being revealed now, next week. But now, I just want to leave you with three, three points of application, three things for you to consider. First of all, I want you to know that you have a problem. And I don't say that to condemn you or so that you would go away and feel miserable. I actually say that because I think that is, that is the first step that you need to make to have true hope in the gospel. Because every single person, without exception, does know enough about God just by looking around them to know that he must be worshipped and obeyed. You know that. Now, you might be here this morning and going, no, I'm not sure I do know that. I don't believe that. Deep down, you do. Deep down, you know that you're not here by accident. You know that your life is not just a meaningless arrangement of atoms. You're here because there is a God who created you. Don't suppress that truth. We've all suppressed it at various times by refusing to acknowledge God's existence. We've all suppressed it by exchanging the truth about God for a a lie by worshipping other things. And we all have that same problem. This is a universal problem. And so it is good for us to acknowledge that problem. Friends, please don't leave here thinking that you do not have this problem. Second, I want you to understand the nature of the problem. Because so many of us might be willing to accept that there is sin that we, are, that we have disobeyed God, that we have denied the truth of his existence. But it's so much harder for us to make the connection between that and God's wrath. We can accept that we're sinful, but we find it so much harder to accept that that means we're deserving of, of wrath, of death. If you remember our comic... It's very easy, and many people fall into the trap of thinking that God's anger at sin is simply God not getting what he wants. In which case, he's just like a toddler. He's screaming that they didn't get the right food for lunch. 
But friends, Romans 1 helps us see that it's not just a case of not getting what he wants. Sin is a fundamental denial of reality. Sin is objectively wrong because we as a creature are are rebelling against our creator, our our whole reason for being, our, our whole, the reason we are. It's not just that God doesn't get what he wants, it's that God, by virtue of creating us, is, is owed it. And so the reason for God's wrath being revealed is because we've denied reality, we've suppressed the truth, we've tried to live as if we, in fact, are our own creators. And so the nature of our rebellion is deserving of God's wrath. And it's that that makes the third point so astounding. Because the third point is to remind you that we have the solution. And the solution to the problem of God's wrath being revealed is not your inner righteousness being revealed. It is not you doing or undoing what you have done. The solution to the problem of God's wrath being revealed is his righteousness being revealed in the gospel. Friends, the amazing truth in all of Romans 1 and as we go on is that despite being deserving of God's wrath, we are instead redeemed and brought back to God and in right relationship with God. So we need to understand the problem, but don't lose sight of the solution. And we're going to keep bringing those things together as, as we continue through Romans. But for now, let me pray. Uh, gracious God, we do thank you for this humbling reminder that we are deserving of your wrath. Now, that's a hard truth for us to swallow. Our sinful hearts are tempted to think that that is unfair. That the, the real problem is you and, and not us. Lord, help us see the problem of our sin. Help us see that we have robbed you of what you are owed by refusing to acknowledge you as God. Help us see the way that we've exchanged the truth about you for lies and worshipped created things rather than the creator. Lord, help us see our sin. Help us taste its pain then, Lord, help us rejoice that you sent your Son to deal with our great problem, to turn your wrath away so that we might live in right relationship with you now and forever. Lord, I pray that you would help us uh, wrestle with the reality of sin while rejoicing in the hope of the gospel. Help us hold these two things together. Keep us from despair thinking that there is nothing in us that would, that would uh, allow us to be in right relationship with you. Keep us from arrogance in thinking that we have earned our right relationship with you. Keep us firmly sticking to the gospel, knowing that while we are deserving of wrath, we have been given righteousness in the Lord Jesus. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.